Hello and welcome to the Green Canary. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about a record year for renewables, which is terrific news. We've got electric vehicle manufacturing potentially on the table here in Australia, which is also good news. We've got some not-so-good not so news about penguins, also manatees, and a whole lot more. I'm Ant Sharwood, and I am sitting opposite someone who looks a bit like a green canary with her matching green nails and green top. Hello, Elfie. Thank you so much for noticing my coordination, Ant. <laughs> Very important. Okay, so to kick off today's show, we're going to be talking quickly about an animal that we were very focused in on last week, and we probably should have waited another week to speak about the koala. So for those of you who didn't catch last week's episode or who might have just not been paying attention to us speaking, I don't blame you, the federal government announced a $50 million rescue package for koalas. And basically, uh, the upshot of last week's episode was saying, that that was all well and good, but the money couldn't really address the biggest issues facing koalas, which are habitat destruction, chlamydia, and impending climate change. So we mentioned within that story that koalas were currently being considered for endangered status. And now that decision has officially been made by the Environment Minister Susan Lee, and koalas are now officially endangered. <laughs> they are. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's technified. Uh, it's technified. That's a word I just invented. Uh, it's <laughs> technically classified is what I'm trying to say um, as an upgrade in its conservation status uh, from vulnerable to endangered. It, it seems more like sort of a downgrade. That feels like a downgrade. It does, yeah, doesn't it? But confusing. Nonetheless, it is a status change and it's meaningful uh, in, in more ways than one. It's not just etymology at play here, you know, endangered, vulnerable. What's the diff? The diff is uh, the federal government is now sending signals that it, it's going to step in and take koala protection seriously. Now, the problem with koalas, and we wrote about this in our newsletter that you should really sign up to from the Green Canary, went out last week, and Good it went plug. out two days before this <laughs> happened. Hello at thegreencanary.co for your newsletter, written by me, and I put a lot of love into it. But, you know, I was writing last week about how the problem is that at state level, that's where planning decisions are made. Mm. That's where New South Wales has planning laws that says, go and develop this koala habitat as long as, quote, unquote, it's properly considered. What does that even mean? Well, it means if you know the right people, p potentially you can uh, develop what you want to develop. So I think the federal government's going to come in with overarching laws. Um, and they're, they're, they're looking to say, hey, this is a national problem. It must be addressed nationally. I like this move from Susan Lee. It's not often you wake up in the morning and say, I like the fact that a vulnerable animal is now one step further down the road to extinction. It's endangered. But if it means we can send it back up the road to vulnerable and hopefully to totally fine, then good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we should point out that th this is only a, like applicable to the populations in Queensland, New South Wales and the ACT. Yep. And we know that koalas have been really struggling, especially in New South Wales. Um, so I've got this little stat here basically that says since 2001, the koala population in New South Wales has decreased by at least 50%. And there was a parliamentary inquiry a couple of years ago, I believe, that said that they're going to be completely extinct in the state in like by 2050. Yeah, so that's, that's, it's dire. That is dire. Losing half your koalas in 20 years is a terrible stat. And, you know, I love stats, but I don't like stats like that. But I'll give you, Elfie, a stat that I do like. Oh, yeah. Uh, moving along, um, there's a, a, a new report this week uh, from the Climate Council, and they have announced uh, that renewables provided five times more power in Australia's grid 
than gas did in 2021. Interesting. <laughs> I mean, most of the gas that, that, you know, Australian gas is exported, so it probably doesn't actually reflect the amount of gas. But not, nonetheless, um, renewables are providing five times more power They, they reached rec- uh, than gas. They reached record highs in all mainland states last year, while gas generation fell to its lowest level in 15 years. And we have a good friend of the pod who you spoke to recently, Tim Baxter. He told us that electricity is now the cheapest it's been in a decade because of all the solar and wind. And actually, we've got a map of that. I don't know if we can get that up now, but it's a terrific map that I saw this week of all the uh, solar and wind facilities in Australia. And, you know, it's it's clustered around the coastline. Um, And and I've got some stats to go with that. Do you know, Elfie, what the top three states are in terms of renewable energy as a percentage of of their overall uh, energy generation? Look, I don't off the top of my head, but just looking at that map that was on the screen, there were like Tasmania was full of dots. So I'm going to say that it's Tasmania. And Tasmania had the dots that connoted the colour of hydropower because Tassie gets 99.9% of its power from renewables, most wow. of it hydro. Number one state. Number two state, South Australia, 65.7%, um, which which is really interesting. Most, most of it wind and solar. And WA, uh, 32.2%. So you drop off. You go from like three-thirds, two-thirds, one-third in our top three states. Yeah, uh, right. and, and the rest are below that 32% of Western Australia. So Eastern states, Eastern Australia, we've got a bit of work to do, don't we? But we're on the upswing. We do indeed. Um, but we should also talk a little bit about green electricity at the consumer level, right? Mm-hmm. So I want to preface this by saying that I was involved in the launch of this project. But I think it's worth mentioning um, Greenpeace's Green Electricity Guide within this conversation because it's an independent review of all the electricity electricity providers and exactly how environmentally friendly they really are. Um, So I I like the idea that we can centre these conversations on what we as individual consumers can actually do to keep influencing that grid we've been talking about and basically indicating to the electricity market what we want and what matters to us. Uh, So this week I spoke to David Ritter, who is the lovely CEO of Greenpeace Australia, and I had a chat with him about the guide and why this sort of stuff actually matters. In terms of the actual real world impact of signing on to a different energy provider, do you, do you really believe in the individual power to make a difference with this sort of thing when it's such a drop in the ocean? So in the middle of the climate crisis, uh, it's a task for all of us to work out what is the biggest contribution we can make to addressing the crisis. And there's no doubt that it's a very direct thing you can do by changing to a a greener electricity provider. But it also puts terrific uh, pressure on for systems change because it is really the the power companies and the major corporations that must be changed to uh, get our emissions down. And so by by changing provider, you're not only making a difference in terms of um, your own contribution, but you're putting pressure on for systems change. And that's huge. Yeah, incredible. And I mean, I should say that when I signed up to my uh, greener energy provider last year, there was something like a $40 difference between the bill that I would have been paying theoretically and the new greener one. And I'm wondering, do you believe that this is like a viable option for all Australians to take that extra cash on? 
Well, look, it's really tricky to actually take a single snapshot of electricity costs um, mm. because the national electricity market varies price per unit depending on a whole range of factors. So direct and fair comparison between providers is often really tricky, but there's no doubting the overall trend, which is that renewables are getting cheaper. And so just this week, we've seen the ABC report that Australia's power prices are now among the lowest in the world, precisely because renewables are driving down household power prices. And and this trend will continue, that, that new build renewables will drive out fossil fuels. Meanwhile, fossil fuels will keep pushing their higher costs onto consumers. So that was me speaking to David Ritter, who is the CEO of Greenpeace Australia, about the Green Electricity Guide. Um, So, I mean, a couple of years ago, I should say that I switched onto a greener electricity provider. I looked at the data again on this guide and I've realised that they've fallen. So I now have to do some home admin and switch providers. Yeah, well, it was was really interesting looking through the guide. And I'm I'm not going to go through and list the companies that were, you know, the number one, number two, number three. It'll sound like free plugs but it's worth googling worth looking up the Greenpeace uh, green electricity guide it really does give you an insight into which providers out there are doing it the right way yeah yeah it's fantastic and speaking about electricity we are talking about electric vehicles again I don't know why we keep talking about cars and I guess because it's just interesting because we love cars because we love getting around efficiently and quickly and we love doing so without polluting the world and that's what electric vehicles are going to enable us to do so a new report, Elfie, from via the Australia Institute is looking into how Australia could resurrect its car industry. Look, by making electric vehicles. And I, I just feel like I want to go into full sort of infomercial mode here because... Oh, please feel free to. Hit me. Y- let's go. Y- you know how they, they do those rhetorical questions, you know... Do you wish you could still have manufacturing in Australia? Do you wish you could have green jobs in Australia? <laughs> well, I'm here to tell you, you actually can. Yes. You know, you can eat all the junk food you want and be healthy. <laughs> no, but but that's it, it, it's it's a reality. It, I mean, the bottom line here, if if I'm reading it right, is is that um, obviously it, it's not like for like. You can't turn a you know defunct Holden factory into a, a Tesla factory, mm. but you can use parts of the supply chain, some of the heavier infrastructure, and set up an EV industry here. This is pretty much what they're up to, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, So the report says that, like you said, there are bits of this old infrastructure of the the car industry. But, you know, we're also Australia. We have massive mineral resources and we have this really strong base to uh, to create an electric vehicle industry here. And the report also said that, you know, even if it isn't necessarily possible to immediately uh, translate all of that industry into making electric cars the very least we can start making components um, yep. of electric vehicles that could build a really strong basis for um, that kind of uh, part of the economy so we we can think do things like make batteries um, it's obviously not a magic bullet to end all of our environmental concerns cars aren't everything but it could be a big part of the pie and put Australia in this really globally enviable position. I'm holding on to that dream. Excuse me for that. Okay, let's <laughs> let's get the hell out of here. Let's talk about, uh, let's go over to Mulch. This is our part of the week where we just have the little clippings, the little bits and pieces. And I just want to tell you about some penguins. That, oh, always uh, tell me about penguins, penguins, please. Well, penguins may be in peril. We, we spoke about penguins a, a few weeks ago, the, the Gen 2 penguins, but we're talking about little penguins this week. Oh, and, uh, they're so cute. Look, there's a little island off Perth. It's called Penguin Island because they have such terrific imagination over there. Um, <laughs> Um, 
It's you're uh, such a dick. You're gonna get in trouble. <laughs> it's it's not Rottnest Island. It's it's sort of closer to Rockingham, just south of Perth, tiny little island. There's you can get a ferry out there, and there's a penguin centre. You can go and look at that. Now they want to rebuild the centre, but. Everyone is saying, please do not do this. The, the the colony has halved in recent years. You can't just go and build stuff all over an island where you have Western Australia's largest uh, penguin colony mm. uh, that has lost half its numbers due to all sorts of reasons in recent years. Mm. Um, it, it's one of the most interesting ongoing, uh, I think, debates in environmentalism across the sphere. People become carers for the world when they have an animal experience, when they see a thing. But if by seeing the thing you are ruining the animal's habitat, then that is not good. I think this seems to be a case where that second consideration of, of, yeah, it'd be nice to educate people, but we can't keep sending people out there when the colony is struggling. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's a really interesting question. And I also believe that you have some news for me about manatees Also not Also not good news. Look, I love manatees a.k.a. sea cows. They're actually herbivorous. Do you know they're, they're closest, uh, they are the closest uh, relative um, of the elephant in the animal kim- kingdom? Oh, my God. Okay, yeah, yeah, looking yeah. at it, it makes sense. But, I mean, you know, well, chunky grey thing. It's grey yeah. and it's big, yeah. Um, <laughs> they, they flourish. Well, they once flourished uh, in the waters around Florida. Here's why they're in trouble. Um, farming and uh, all sorts of other industry has uh, decimated the seagrass of Florida. It is upon the seagrass that they graze. And, you know, Florida can get a bit cold. I've been there actually in February. It's freezing. Um, They can't swim in in deeper waters where there's more seagrass at the moment because the water's too cold. Inland, there's no seagrass. So there's a bunch of starving manatees. Freeze or starve, that is. And and look, the reason I think it's relative to us, it's just one of those bad pieces of random environmental news from around the world this week. But it is all being caused by runoff, most of it, from industry. And, you know, we did mention two weeks ago that the government here with our reef is uh, giving a billion dollars. Um, and while the reef itself faces climate issues and other broader issues, the... Um, prevention of damaging runoff is a really, really important thing. And that sort of uh, Florida example illustrates to an extent why money spent on making the reef healthier is a good thing. Yeah, totally. And thank you for all of this depressing animal news this week (laughs) and very much appreciated. So uh, my little bit of mulch uh, from this week, the WA government now has the power to turn off household solar systems at times when the electricity network is under severe stress. So in Western Australia, more than a third of residential and business customers on the state's grid have a solar installation, which is massive. It is. And the government says that they're only going to switch it off a few times a year and it's only going to last for a few hours each time just when the system is struggling with massive overload. But yeah, um, I guess hopefully it just doesn't turn consumers away from the idea of solar panels in general. If if too much solar is becoming a problem, (laughs) that's the sort of problem you want to have. Yeah, that's a fair point. All right. And just as a last bit of news, um, do you like big waves? I have a weird obsession with big waves. I love watching big wave surfers. I've interviewed big wave surfers. In, in fact, uh, you know, fun story. I interviewed a big wave surfer, surfer called Laird Hamilton once. And I said, Laird, what's the biggest wave you've ever surfed? And he said, funny thing, Anthony, I 
didn't have a measuring tape with me when I was out there surfing. Oh, damn. And I think he said that to every journalist who's ever <laughs> asked him that and belittled them the way he belittled me. But uh, belittling is not what uh, they found this week in Waves, is it? No, they found a big beginning. A, 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 <laughs> begin. No, beginning. we're not trying this. In beginning, no, okay. <laughs> All right, so the wave was measured off Vancouver Island and it measured 58 feet or 17 metres tall, which is about the size of a four-storey building. Um, I should actually point out that this happened a couple of years ago, but science can move slowly sometimes. And the study recording it was only published this month. And the point of the story is that a rogue wave is sort of somewhere between mythology and science or has always been. Do they exist? Can you get a wave that's four times bigger than every other wave that's passed by that day? And, you know, it's almost been in mythology like the sea monster. Yeah. But science is now saying they're actually a thing. You sure bloody can find one. So watch out for rogues, Elfie. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to try surfing at any time soon. (laughs) I will be honest. All right. That is all we have time for on the pod this week. Before we go, as ever, we would like to pay our respects to the traditional custodians of the land on which we're recording, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging, as well as extend that respect to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people here today. This land was stolen and never ceded. That's very well said, Elfie. And I'd just like to uh, direct people to our social media channels before we go. You can say hello to us on Instagram, where we're at Green Canary Media. You can say hi to us on Twitter, where we're at Green Canary Pod. And you can, did I say can? I mean must. You absolutely must. Subscribe to our newsletter. Please email hello at thegreencanary.co or just get in touch with us any other way you like and I will send you the uh, newsletter this week. Amazing. All right. Thank you so much, Ant, and we'll see you next week. Thanks. Bye. Bye.